to the City View Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy today's message. Words have power, don't they? Do you have those friends that when they speak, it's like they hope everybody is listening to them. They, they, they speak with authority. They speak with power. They speak with a knowing. And it seems like everywhere they go, they feel like every single person needs to listen to what they have to say. I have a friend like this. And I remember one time I was with this friend and he took me to a football game. And, and, and there was just something about it that I, I just felt out of place. And I, and I feel in place. When I'm at a football game, I feel like I belong. But something about this situation was different. I remember we went to a Cardinals game and he had gotten tickets from uh, one of the Cardinals players. And he had been doing work on this guy's house and he and this player had become friends. And so he had gotten free tickets from him. And so we went and we watched the game. And then after the game, my friend took me down to the field or down to the area where the, the Cardinals players, where we could meet them. And so we go down there. And, and as we pass different guards, you're supposed to have a, a wristband. And we didn't have that wristband. And it, we pass this one guy and he goes, hey, are, are you allowed to be here? And my friend just spoke. Yeah. He told me, Jeremiah, follow me and act like you're supposed to be here. And I will do all the speaking. I'm like, okay. And I've got my son with me, Judah. So I've got Judah, I, he's, he, we're walking hand in hand, and my friend is leading us. And, and this security, are you supposed to be here? Yeah, I'm, I, I know so-and-so. And he said hi to the mom, and, and then somehow that got us through. And, and then we got all, through all these different places. We were able to not really meet any players immediately, but they're just the words and his command and how he walked, we were able to get to all these different places. And then we walk out these doors. As we walk out these doors, which I have no idea what's on the other side of these doors, all I know is it's where the Cardinals field goes out when the, they're not playing inside. The, the grass actually rolls out to outside. So that's all I know about these doors. And so the, the security guy stands there, and he's guarding these doors, and he goes, are you allowed to be here? And my friend goes, yeah, we're supposed to go out these doors. And so the guy just lets us go out these doors, which is where all the players are parked, which is where all the players are going to be going. And so we're out there and I get to meet David Johnson and Bruce Arians. And I see Larry Fitzgerald just off in the distance too far. I'd have to run to go meet him. And I didn't want to be that creepy fan. And then all of a sudden security comes out and says, you're not allowed to be here. His words had authority. My friend's words had lost their power. And now I feel very out of place. I feel unworthy. I feel like I'm in trouble. I feel like I've done something wrong. And have you ever been in that place where you feel like, okay, I am not qualified. I'm not supposed to be here. I'm out of place. Have you ever been in that situation and you had no words to say? You had nothing. You didn't know what to do next. That's where we were. We we're sort of stuck. His words, my friend's words had ran out of power and he no longer had authority to have us in that place. Have you ever been there? Felt out of place? Have you ever felt like you were not qualified and you felt inadequate and just not deserving to be there? And Many of us, we can sort of almost bring an attitude like this into our lives. An attitude of unworthiness, of not being qualified, of not being the right person and sort of like uncomfortable because the entire time I was there, I felt uncomfortable. The entire time I was there, I felt out of place. The entire time I was there, I felt like I have nothing to say. If they ask me, I'm going to have to tell the truth because I'm like, I don't know. I, I don't know why I'm here. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's what I would have been doing. Have you ever been there? 
I wonder how many of us, we take this into our lives, into our everyday lives, this attitude of, I can't be here, I'm nobody, I am nothing. And we miss out on the life that God has for us. Because we don't realize that there's not a qualification of coming before God, but He qualified us. He did it all. You see, my friend's words may have lost power, but God's word can't lose power. Today we're going to be looking at the story of this man who saw himself so not worthy, but believed in the power of the word of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you are a great and awesome, powerful king. Thank you that you are in control and that you know and do all things. Lord, thank you that you are in control of all the things that are going on in our world right now. And Lord, I ask God for those of us who need just a peace and a calm in our spirit, Lord, that you would do so. Lord, for those of us who need assurance, I ask that, Lord, that you would give us assurance. God, I ask that you would speak to your people as they hear your messages all over the valley today, Lord, whether they're at CCB or they're at Calvary or, uh, Lord, if they're at um, um, Lifeway or if they're at Desert Streams Church, Lord, at Palm Valley. God, I ask, Lord, that you would do great things. God, speak to your people at City View today. God, I pray, God, against this virus. God, I ask that you would bring about a cure. Lord, that you would remove and push it out. Lord, whatever needs to be done by you, Lord, I ask that you would do it. God, I ask that it would, it would be gone. Heal those who are sick and hurting. Heal those who have lost, Lord, loved ones. Heal their hearts. Lord, for those who are sick now and they... They can't do anything. God, I ask that you would heal their bodies. You are the great physician. You are the healer and curer of all things. Lord, nothing is too hard for you. So, Lord, I ask that you would do so. Lord, speak to us now in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would turn with me to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. I want to say welcome to City View. Welcome to our online experience. My name is Jeremiah Semler. I'm the lead pastor at City View Church, and I'm so glad you chose and you decided to watch or listen to service um, today. No matter what time of day you're watching, I'm glad you did. And I hope that at some point throughout this message that God speaks to you, because God has something for you. God has something for us every time His Word is preached. Every time His Word is open, God desires to speak to your heart and to your soul. His words never come back void. Other people's words are empty they can have no pull, no power, but God's Word has the power to change your life and to change mine. This morning we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 7 and we're continuing just our, 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 our series on faith. And, and there's a man in this chapter, a man which we never hear his name, we just know him as the centurion, and this great faith that he has. And it says in Luke chapter 7, verses 1 through 5, when he had completed all his discourse, meaning Jesus, when Jesus had completed this, these talks that he had in the hearing of the people, he went to Capernaum. And a centurion slave who was highly regarded by him was sick and about to die. When he heard about Jesus, he sent word, he sent some Jewish elders asking Jesus to come and to save the life of his slave. 
When those Jewish leaders, when they came to Jesus, they earnestly implored him, they begged him, they, they asked him with such enthusiasm, enthusiasm, he says, they say, he, the centurion, is worthy for you to grant him this, for he loves our nation, and it was he who built us our synagogue. So, so I want to I help you step back a little bit and see the big picture of what's happening here in Luke 7. Luke 7, we're, we're coming to the end of, of this huge sermon that Jesus preached, this sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. And in this sermon, in, this, in these multiple talks that Jesus had, the, these times where he was encouraging and speaking to this huge crowd of people, Jesus did taught the, these messages on what is called the Beatitude, which is which are the, this way of living life that is blessed before God. You find that earlier in Luke here and also starting in Matthew chapter 5, you see this, this beautiful preaching teachings of Jesus. And so he teaches about how to focus and how to live life and how to live a blessed life. And then Jesus in that same, those same talks, he, he then starts teaching about loving each other and loving your enemies and helping each other and coming alongside each other. And then he closes this, these, this section about um, how to build your life on a foundation that's worth it. And then we come to Luke 7. And as Jesus finishes these, he comes down the mountain and he's greeted by these Jewish leaders who have this big ask of him. A big question. And they say to Jesus in Luke chapter 7, verse 4, when they came to Jesus, they earnestly implored him, saying, He is worthy for you to grant him this. They thought their words held weight. They thought their words held power. They thought they could influence and persuade Jesus to do something for them because they said so. Because they say that he's worthy. Because they say, hey, you know what? This guy's a legit guy, Jesus. You should do it. He's, he, he, you should do this for him because he's a really good guy. And, and here they, they use this word worthy. He is worthy. And this word worthy has the idea of an ex- external worthiness. Something about his appearance and his outward character. He deserves it, Jesus. He has done so much for us is what they say. This, this idea of worthy is this idea of a scale of a scale that is equal, that, is, that looks good. In appearance, both sides are the same. It's balanced. And according to their, their point of view, this guy looks good, acts good, and is good, according to outward appearance. And even to the Romans, they appointed him as a centurion. To become a centurion, it wasn't just a matter of rising in ranks. You had to have a good reputation. The men had to like you. Your words had to be good. Your life had to be good. Everything about you had to be good. You couldn't just move up and just say, well, I finished this. I was a sergeant, so now I'm a lieutenant. It didn't work like that in the Roman Empire. It didn't work like that to become a centurion. A centurion had to be liked by others, had to be respected by others, and had to be a man of great reputation. And that's this centurion. That's this guy. He's an all-around great guy. He's a great guy. And the Jews liked him, and the Romans liked him. So the Jewish leaders are like, why wouldn't Jesus like him? Come on. Everybody likes him. Now, was this guy really great? I don't know. Did, Did Jesus ever do anything for anybody because they deserved it? 
Does Jesus owe this guy anything at all? No. Jesus doesn't owe anybody anything. We actually owe him everything. And, and so it's not because he's deserving or anything. Jesus does this out of the love of his heart. But I think some of us, we can all struggle with this idea of deserving, of thinking we, we are owed something or we're entitled we can all feel that we are better than other people. We can look and say, well, I would never do that, or I would never do this, or man, I've never done that in my life, or I've never acted like this. I've always worked hard. I've always had, I've always, you know, if this ever happened to me, I would just keep going. And we can just start qualifying or looking at ourselves going, man, but I am better because if you look at this person, you know, I'm, I'm better than this, or I've never done those things. And we can almost do that and bring that before God and say, God, you know, why wouldn't you answer my prayers? I mean, look at who I am. God, look at what I've done. Look at how good I am. But that doesn't make God want to do something for you. Jesus tells a story in Luke chapter 18 of a, of a Pharisee and a sinner. And the Pharisee comes in and he prays and the sinner, he sits in the back. And the Pharisee comes to the front and he is, he's praying and it says in Luke chapter 18 verse 11 and 12, so the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer, I thank you, God, that I am not like other people. I'm not a cheater or a sinner or an adulterer. And I'm certainly not like that tax collector over there. I fast twice a week and I give you a tenth of my income. This guy is bragging about these simple things he's, and he's pointing. Can you imagine the audacity of this man? And I wonder how many of us could almost be like the Jewish leaders and can almost be like this and think Jesus owes us something. And I wonder if we can carry that into our lives because if we think Jesus owes us, then we can also live under the pressure of we owe him. And that pressure can be so overwhelming and so overbearing when we fail, when we make mistakes, when we feel like our salvation and our Christianity is dependent upon how good we are and how good we're acting and our outward, outward appearance and all that. If we start coming underneath that burden, you will fail and you will fall apart and you will never live a blessed life. See, Jesus came to set us free from that. Jesus didn't go to this man. He didn't follow them because this guy was deserving. Jesus' love is so much bigger than our pride. It's so much bigger than our arrogance. And so Jesus goes. It says in verse 6 of Luke chapter 7, just the first part. Now Jesus started on his way with them. And when he was not far from the house. So Jesus goes with these guys and he, he, he doesn't, he has not said a word yet. Jesus hasn't done anything. He hears the story and he follows them. He goes with them. Now you got to understand there's a crowd. There's people following him who, who had just heard Jesus preach on the mountain. They're preaching about living this different life. They're preaching about, you've heard me say these things, but I say do this. You heard me say, love your enemy, but I say, man, go the extra mile when it comes to loving. And I say, you know, blessed are those. And Jesus has, has been preaching this sermon and preaching this new way of living. So he's got this crowd of people watching. What is Jesus going to do next? Everything Jesus does is for a reason and for a purpose, and he has something to teach people. And so Jesus now is walking, and he's on his way to this guy's house. And it appears that Jesus is going to go with them and go into the guy's house. 
Now this is big. Why is it a big deal for Jesus to go to this guy's house? Why is it a big deal for Jesus to even, as he's walking, it seems like he's going into the house. You're like, that's not a big deal. I go into people's houses all the time. We got to understand Jewish people did not go into a Gentile's house. You see, in, in the Jews, you had Jews and then you had everybody else. Jewish people were the, the chosen ones of God. Everybody else were Gentiles. And you don't go into a Gentile's house. You try not to associate with Gentiles. You don't eat with Gentiles. You, they are a whole other set of people that you really try to avoid. And if you go into a Gentile's house, you are considered unclean and you can no longer worship in the temple. You've got to go clean yourself first. You've got to set yourself aside. You've got to not hang out with anybody. You've got to self-isolate, social distance, all that stuff. Unclean. You can't do that. So you, you, you get that? Like, for Jesus to go to this guy's house is a big deal. And he does. Jesus is risking much. Because Jesus' love is willing to risk his whole reputation on a person. Jesus was okay with what others thought about him. He was willing to risk much for the life of one. Jesus knew that nothing could make him unclean. Jesus knew that everywhere he went became clean. He can never be too far. You can never be too far, too unclean for Jesus to go after you. Jesus was willing to go after this guy, to walk right into his house, to walk right into his mess, to walk right into his situation. Jesus was okay with that. And Jesus, that's how loving he is towards you. And Jesus still has yet to say a word. Jesus has yet to do, to really do anything. He's just following. And then it says in verse 6, verses 6 through 8, Then Jesus started on his way with them, and when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends. So Jesus hasn't even met the centurion yet. First, Jesus, the centurion sends Jewish leaders, probably because maybe he thought Jesus would listen to them, and so Jesus walks. And now... The guy doesn't want Jesus to come into his house, so the guy sends friends. He doesn't even come. And, he's, and he says there, he says, Lord, at the end of verse 6, Lord, do not trouble yourself any further, for I am not worthy for you to come under my roof. He understands, Jesus, I do not want to make you unclean. Jesus, I, I, am, I am not a person that you should be in my house at all. This, the guy has this understanding of himself. He says, for this reason, the centurion says, for this reason, I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. Again, he uses this word worthy, to come to you. But just say the word, Jesus. Jesus, just say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man placed under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes. And to the other, come, and he comes. And to my slave, do this, and he does it. As Jesus gets close to this man's house, the man sends his friends to stop them. He doesn't want Jesus to risk so much for him. He says to Jesus, Jesus, I'm not worth it. Jesus, I'm not worthy. Just don't come and do this. And in these few verses here, from verses 2 through verse 8, we see the word worthy three times. And the, the two of them are, are they're very different. 
how the Jews speak of the man is very different than how he speaks of himself. The Jews, are, the Jews say, hey, he's worthy. Because look at all he's done. Look at the, the works he's done. Look at the actions he's done. Look at how hard he works. I mean, he's done this for us and this for us. Jesus, you should do it because of, because of how he looks on the outside. And then this man, he says, Jesus, I'm not worthy. and has nothing to do with outward appearance. Now he speaks of his own soul. Jesus, I'm not worthy. His understanding and his word, worthy, it speaks of the inner man. He says, Jesus, I'm not sufficient. I'm not adequate. Jesus, I'm not enough. Jesus, I'm not qualified for you to come into my house. Don't. I'm not worthy. He says, it, it doesn't matter what I look like on the outside. Jesus, I know who I am on the inside, and I'm not worthy for you to come into my house. And that is where each of us should find ourselves. I can tell you there's so many times where I'm just like, God, I'm not worthy to preach your word. God, I'm not worthy to be even one of your children. God, I'm not worthy. I, I, God, I, I don't deserve this. I don't, I don't deserve you. I don't deserve that you died for me. Jesus, I don't deserve any of this. And I'm not saying use it as a, you beat yourself, but I can, I can sympathize. I can understand where this man is coming from. But I can also so understand where Jesus would come from. Jesus would probably look at him and say, man, it has nothing to do with worth. We were worth him dying on a cross for us. Man, if my kids were ever to make a, a big, huge mistake, it's never according to how worthy they are. They're my kid no matter what. I love them no matter what. They can never do anything so harsh, so evil, so bad that they cannot be my kid anymore. There will never be a point where they say, Dad, I'm not worthy to be your son. I'll say, that's ridiculous. Because it never had anything to do with value. That things you could do to earn has everything to do with you are my child. And Jesus, as he hears this man, as he hears this man, he hears this man's almost inner turmoil. And I wonder if this man had been struggling with worth and value, even though in the eyes of all these people, he's a centurion. He leads people. He has servants. People do things for him. People follow his orders. And then he looks and goes, but I am nothing. I know who I am on the inside. I know who I am. I know how I act. And Jesus, I'm not worthy. Do not, do not come into my home. Do not, do not come. But Jesus, I know that your words have power. Jesus, I know that you have authority. Jesus, I know who you are. Jesus, I know that, that when you speak, things happen. Because when I speak, things happen. So Jesus, I know that your words have power. He had faith in Jesus. He understood Jesus' authority. And he had a faith in the word of Jesus. He said, Jesus, just say the word. I wish I knew what word it was because I'd ask Jesus to say it again. He said, Jesus, just say the word. Jesus' words had power. This is such great faith and trust. And look at what Jesus says. In Luke 7, verses 9 and 10, Jesus says this. Now when Jesus heard this, he marveled at him and he turned and said to the crowd, now remember, the man's not even there. Jesus has not even met the man yet. He turns to this crowd and he says, I say to you, in which the crowd is mostly Jewish people, and he says, I say to you, not even in Israel have I found such great faith. 
Such great faith. When those who had been sent to the house, they found the slave in good health. Jesus doesn't even say a word, and he heals him. Jesus takes a moment to highlight this man's faith, a faith that was not found in all of Israel. Only two times does Jesus use this term of great faith when it comes to a person, of this man and of the Canaanite woman, the, the, the Syrophoenician woman, where she comes and she says, Jesus, will you heal my daughter who is demon-possessed? And Jesus tells her, why should I do this for you? I have to, I've come to the Jews first. And, 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 and there's this whole dialogue between Jesus and this woman, and she comes so broken before him. But Jesus says to her, woman, your great faith, because of your great faith, your daughter as well. Both this man and this woman were Gentiles seen as outcasts and outsiders to the Jews. They both were asking on behalf of somebody else, and they both came humbly yet with confidence to Jesus. And Jesus' love, he meets you, and he met them right where they were. Jesus didn't make the man come to him. Jesus didn't have to see the sick. Jesus saw his humility. Jesus saw his faith. Jesus saw his heart. And Jesus answered without even a word. I wonder what that was like. I wonder how they knew to go back home, how they knew that he had healed, how they knew that something different was done. The faith of this man is not found in himself. It wasn't like he had all this built up faith in common. He barely knew Jesus, but he knew that Jesus held authority. His confidence to ask Jesus such a big ass was not in himself, but it was in Jesus, Jesus being the Son of God. His faith was found in under, the understanding of Jesus. His faith was not in his own abilities or in his own characters, but his faith was found in the character of Jesus and the, in the authority that Jesus had. His faith was found in the Word of Jesus. His confidence was found in the Word of Jesus. Spoken words have so much power. Do you have faith in the Word of God? Do you have faith in the Word of Jesus? The voice of God that said, let there be light, and there was light. The Word that said, let there be water, and there was water. Let there be land, and there was land. And let the waters and the air be filled with life, and then fish and birds were made. And then the voice that said, let there be life on land, and then animals were created. Just with words, God made, God created. Have the words of God lost their power for you? Has God's word lost its authority in your life? Have they, they lost their ability to change you and to speak to you and to encourage you and to speak life into your life? This man found his faith in the word of Jesus. In the word of Jesus. And we have this book that is filled with the Word of God, filled with the truths of who God is. In 1 John chapter 1, verses 1-4, through 4, it says, What was from the beginning, 
what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, and what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And the life was manifested, and we have seen and testified and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was from the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write so that our joy may be made complete. Joy can be found in the word of life. Joy can be found in the words of Christ. It says in Isaiah chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, The grass withers and the flowers fade beneath the breath of the Lord. And so is with the people. The grass withers and the flower fade, flowers fade, but the word of God stands forever. The word of God lasts forever. Does, does God's word hold that into your heart? Do you realize that God's word will never fail? It never comes back void. It never comes back empty. It stands forever. It says in the beginning, the word already existed in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. In the beginning, the word of God already existed. And the word was with God and the word was God and he existed in the beginning with God. And God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and His life brought light to everyone. The Word of God is from the beginning. The Word of God gives life. You see, God's Word, when we read it, it can bring life into your life. It can bring life into what you feel is dead and broken. God's Word, when you read it, And when you allow it, God's word will change you. You see, this man who felt so empty, helpless, and hopeless, he knew there was something about the words of Jesus. You see, what's changed my life is God's word. What's changed my life is knowing I can believe him, knowing I can trust him, knowing that his words will get me through each and every day. It's amazing at how many times I will be discouraged and just just needing some hope, needing some freshness, and I will open the word and that and whatever I'm reading that day will be exactly what I need. I remember earlier this week I was reading and I I was, I'd come to Psalm 40, and that's where I was in my reading of the Bible for the day. And it says, I wait patiently for the Lord, and He will incline to me. And, and He heard my cry, and He brought me up out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry clay, and He set my feet upon a rock, making my footsteps firm. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and will trust in the Lord. When it says there in verse 1 of, I, of Psalm 40, I wait patiently for the Lord and he inclined. That word inclined means to bend down to listen like a father would bend down to hear his son. God's word speaks. It never comes back void, empty. God's word creates and is from the beginning. And then it says in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12, The Word of God is alive. It's living and active and powerful. 
It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. God's Word is alive and active, and it cuts right to the heart of every issue. And when we allow God to do that, it allows for healing for our souls. What words are you holding on to? What words are you putting all the value and all the trust and all the reliability? What, are you, what words are you holding on to now? Is, is it words of our society? Because our, in our world right now, words are flying everywhere. Whether it's news or social media, your Instagram story, people are frivolously using words. They're just speaking out things because they, they want you to hear what they have to say. And you have politicians who are saying whatever, whenever, and however they want it. They're just using their words to influence you however they feel fit. You have doctors speaking things. You have one doctor saying one thing and another doctor saying another thing. You have health organizations that are telling you one thing one day and something another day. And you're going, who do I trust? Who do I listen to? What do I hold on to? I have this person saying this and this person saying this. Whose words hold value? God's. God's words. that say, I am with you. I've never left you. I call you by name, you are mine. You are my child. God's words that say, I would leave the 99 for you, the one. God's words say that since you are precious in my sight, since you are honored and I love you. God's words that say, as far as the east is from the west, so far have I cast your sins from you. God's words that say, I am a warrior and I will fight for you. God's words that say, I, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. God's words, say, God's words that say, I knew you before you were born. God's words that say, as my hand can span the universe and my hand holds you. God's words that says, you are a gift. God's words that say, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son for you. God's word that never is empty. God's words that stay the same. We don't have to have a degree to understand this book. This book you can read and it will speak to you because it is living and active, sharper than anything. It's alive and fresh and new every day. And God desires to speak to you through it. We all need to come to Jesus like this man who says, Jesus, I'm not worthy at all. Just, I'm not worthy. I'm not qualified. I'm not sufficient. Jesus, I'm not enough on my own. I'm not enough. I'll never be enough. I'll never be qualified enough. I, I ne will never be able to do all the work that needs to be done to be qualified. And but Jesus, it was never about you being qualified. It was never about you having enough or being enough. It was always about Jesus being qualified. Jesus being enough and Jesus being sufficient and Jesus saying, because of who I am, you are my child. You are my son. You are my daughter. Jesus, he came so that we might have life. 
and we can come to Him and trust His words, that His words are faithful and true. It says in Revelation 21, verse 5, And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And is that something you so desire to see, things new? I don't know about you, but I just I would love to see new, new life. Jesus, and Jesus says, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write these words because they are faithful and true. Write these words. I'm making all things new because these are faithful words. These are words you can hold on to. These are words that are good. He says, Write these words because they are true, because they will never come back void, because they will not turn up empty. They are not a lie. Write these words because I, they, are faithful and true. We can trust the word of Jesus. We can believe that in Him, in His words, are life, truth, hope, and love. Like the centurion, it had nothing to do with how worthy he was, whether or not Jesus would hear him, whether or not Jesus would speak life into him. It had nothing to do with his worth. It had nothing to do with how good those Pharisees thought he was. It had everything to do with Jesus seeing a life that needed a word spoken over it. And Jesus desires to speak over yours today. Will you trust him? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Jesus, thank you so much that your words are faithful and true, that we can trust your words, that your words are powerful, that your words are good, that your words are trustworthy. And Jesus, I I pray, God, as so many of us are being pulled in so many different ways, just that we would trust and rely upon you. Lord, that we'd go to your book, that we'd go to this book, your word, and that we would read it. And maybe right now you're, you are a person, you're, you've been trusting so many words, but you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus. You've never put your faith and trust in him and his words. I want to give you that opportunity now and just say, God, I trust you. I trust your son, Jesus, that he died on a cross for me. And God, I ask that you'd forgive me. God, I, I, I don't feel worthy to even come to you. I don't feel qualified to come to you. And I thank you that it has nothing to do with my worth or my qualifications. But it has everything to do with your son, Jesus. And so God, I ask that you would make me new. In Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us today. For up-to-date series information, find us on social media at CityViewPHX or go to cityviewphx.com.